Obviously, you know that we're talking about the shepherds this morning, and we've been going through a series called Through Their Eyes. And uh, I would hope that um, you will uh, be able to identify someone again this morning with the shepherds. I, I know I do because um, I raise turkeys, and um, there's a lot of similarities to shepherding and raising turkeys. Trust me, um, I raised 30,000 turkeys. And um, it really taught me a lot about how to be a shepherd in the church, frankly. Um, uh, I know some of you are a little slower, you know, but I'm, deal- I'm dealing with a bunch of turkeys this morning. So what can I say? No, I'm too. But I, I know when, uh, when, it was, uh, when I was a turkey farmer, um, I was considered kind of the lowest of low on the totem pole when it came to farming. Because when you go to Iowa, where I, where I farmed turkeys, um, you know, cattle, you know, that was kind of the elite group. And then there were the sheep, I mean, excuse me, the hogs. And then there were the sheep and, and whatever else came in that. It might have been other things like emus or whatever that were being raised. But when you raise turkeys, you are really the low life, let me tell you. And, uh, and, and because uh, turkeys were kind of a 24-7 kind of responsibility, it was, it was like the shepherds. You know, they had a 24-7 responsibility. And, and sheep were, were so vulnerable. And if you study anything about sheep, they're a lot like turkeys. They're just dumb domestic animals who find ways to, to destroy themselves. Um, somebody asked me between services, did, do, do turkeys really, when, when it rains, do they actually look up and drown themselves? And the answer is absolutely. Um, there would have been, there were nights when, when, uh, we had tornado warnings and my wife and the two kids, our two kids were down in the basement, uh, hovering down in a shelter because of tornado warnings. I'm out crawling through turkey manure and mud, trying to stoop, put these dumb turkeys under a shelter so they couldn't have enough sense to come in out of the rain. So, I mean, that was, that was my lifestyle for a period of time. And I, I look at these shepherds and they were kind of in that same category where they had a 24 seven responsibility. Sheep were got sick so easily. They were extremely vulnerable to predators. Um, they really had very little, no defense mechanisms other than to run. And so it was a real important thing for shepherds to be on the, the alert 24 seven. Well, why the shepherds? Well, um, I think we have an idea that obviously God wants to use sometimes the most humble to do his work. But, but as you think about these shepherds, they were actually considered to be the lowest of low in society. In fact, they weren't even allowed to testify in court because they didn't feel like they were reliable witnesses. They never went to the temple. They, they never really uh, went through any kind of ceremonial cleansing because uh, they were considered unclean because they were always walking around on sheep dung and handling uh, uh, sheep. And, and so because of that, they, they weren't ever cleansed. And so the religious leaders just kind of ostracized them from basically the religious community. They, they really didn't have anybody overseeing them actually following the law. So these guys are a bunch of mavericks out there in this, in this wilderness taking care of these sheep 24-7. And, and, and so their word really had no carried any really weight. And, and, and so they were interesting guys. So most of them were mavericks. Um, however, these particular shepherds, according to some historians that the angel appeared to, apparently were perhaps uh, what they would call temple shepherds. And I'm going to show you a picture here of, of the actual shepherd fields that are near Bethlehem. I had the privilege of being there a number of years ago and from an outlook 
uh, you could see out into these fields, which are very close to the, the town of Bethlehem. And so most historians can agree that perhaps these guys were sort of the elite shepherds who were to only handle the sheep that were be used to sacrifice in the temple. And those sheep had to be totally spotless and unblemished. And so their responsibility was even greater to make sure that those sheep were cared for in a perfect way. So we think perhaps that these shepherds maybe were chosen by the angel to appear to because of that fact. And because of these shepherd fields being so close to town, it seemed to make a lot of sense. So let's go into the story here as you get a little bit of background on what a shepherd was really like and what the relationship they had with their community and with the religious community. And it kind of helps you get a little bit of a glimpse as to what they were up against when they actually went and saw the baby. So let's go to Luke chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And so we're going to go through this again like I did last week. And we'll make some comments along the way so that you kind of get a drift of the situation. So let's look at it. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields. Notice they lived out in the fields. They never really came in. And so when you saw that little funny video and you saw this guy with his nice cloak, I mean, shepherds really had a stink about them, literally. They smelled, and um, they lived literally out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So you notice here, it's a 24-7 responsibility. That's what these guys were called to do. They took care of those sheep 24-7, day and night, so they probably ran some sort of shift so that some guys were sleeping and some guys were awake. So that gives you a little bit of a flavor. Verse 9, now, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, I don't know. I have never really seen, in essence, the glory of the Lord like they did. And probably none of us have experienced that. So it was an incredibly powerful experience where an angel actually appears to them. And, and they were absolutely terrified out there in this wilderness thinking, I'm not sure what, but more than anything saying, why us? What's going on here? This is absolutely crazy stuff. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Good news. You'll hear that said pretty often in the evangelical world, that good news is the good news of what? The gospel. It was the good news that, hey, there is something going on here, guys, that you need to realize is great news because the son of God is coming and he's going to give himself up as a sacrifice and you are going to have an opportunity to be declared righteous in the eyes of God if you only receive this new Messiah that's coming. That's good news, good news, and it should be good news to us. But he says, good news of great joy. That will be for what? For all the people. Well, that was a new thing right then. Because most of the time, or, or the Jews thought at that point that it was going to be a Messiah that was coming to save them from this Roman dominance. And it was going to finally liberate them politically. And so they would have political freedom. But no, he's saying, no, this is good news. This gospel is not just for the Jews. This is for everybody. This is for us, the Gentiles. This is for all people. Today in the town of David, he declares a savior who has been born to you, a savior, a guy that's going to bring salvation to all people has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Now, the wrapped in claws thing wasn't unusual, but the idea that it was the baby was found in a manger, that's a whole other story. That gave some real clarity and identity to who, where this child was. And these guys could relate to that. 
In fact, um, I've been in, when I was in Bethlehem and there was a place where they assumed this was actually happened. There was actually a cave-like situation where the manger was literally carved out of stone or, 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 or hewn out of rock. And, and so the animals would actually eat out of that trough. It wasn't some wood cradle that we often see in a nativity scene. So these guys anyways, they understood They understood that this baby was going to be found in a manger, a feeding trough, which they could obviously relate to. Now, verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to all men on whom his favor rests. So all of a sudden, this incredible choir of a host of angels. We don't know how many that is for sure, but there were a ton of angels all of a sudden rejoicing and saying glory to God in the highest, rejoicing that the Messiah had come. And these shepherds were a part of all of that. It must have been an incredible experience. I I liken it almost to, uh, I mean, it doesn't even compare, but I I remember sitting here in this auditorium last year in the wintertime and there was a choir and orchestra here and they did the Hallelujah Chorus. And I just felt like, oh, wow, this is like, you just took me to heaven, folks. And, and, and it's like, it was like an amazing host of angels declaring that there would be peace on earth to those men who his favor rests. So he's saying, listen, this message that I have for you is that anybody who his favor rests on, and remember favored means uh, the grace of gift that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. If we accept that favor, we should be men and women of peace. That we should have peace with God and peace with our eternal destiny. That's what it's all about. And that's what the angels were declaring. They said, listen, anybody whose favor rests upon, they're going to find peace in their life and they're going to find peace in eternity. Okay? So verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, I want you to notice that the angel did not demand that they go and see the baby. The angel only said, listen, if you go, you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a cloth, and he's going to be lying in a manger. Now the shepherds had to decide, should we go or not? Kind of like our video. What do we do? We've got a responsibility here. We've got, we've got 24-7, we've got sheep to take care of. And perhaps these are special sheep by, by and large because these are sheep maybe prepared that had to be spotless. So they needed even more honest care and intense care. And they had to make a decision. Should we go and check this thing out? Well, they wanted to check it out. So in verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and, ba- and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed. These guys, remember, had virtually no credibility, right? Most anything that would come from a shepherd's mouth was at least, at the very least, skeptical. Were these guys telling the truth? These guys never went to the temple. They have never been ceremonial cleansed. They're not religious guys for the most part. What are we hearing from these guys is absolutely crazy and incredible. And yet they were amazed. And these guys were unashamedly going around telling everybody what they saw. Okay. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen were what? Which were just as they had been told. So what they did is when they saw this incredible vision of these angels, they needed to figure out, we got to go check this out to see if it's for real. 
We need to validate what this angel has told us and make sure that what we heard was right on. And when they discovered that, they were praising God and glorifying them all the way home and telling everybody on their journey. Well, that's the story of the shepherds. That gives you a little bit of background and what they had to deal with. So as I looked at this particular passage, I began to think, okay, what can we learn from these guys as we see the nativity situation through their eyes and what they had to deal with? And so these are some principles that I feel that God has shown me through the process of how he's related to the shepherds. Here's the first one. The first one is this, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, when we think about why shepherds, why shepherds? Remember we said, these are the, quote, the low lives of society. These are guys that, that, that really had virtually no credibility, and yet God had a soft spark for shepherds, a soft heart, didn't he? I mean, you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. You think about David. They were all shepherds. They were all shepherds, and, and, and God has this heart for a shepherd. In fact, Jesus said, what? I am the good shepherd. So why shepherds? Well, I think if, as I was listening and reading the story, I was thinking, why, why, didn't, why didn't God appear to the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Wouldn't that have been a smarter deal? I mean, they had all the religious credibility. They were the ones that were respected. Why, why would he not go to those guys and, and let them see the Christ child? And I think it behooves us to realize that no, because probably those guys, as we know, had a problem with their egos. And yet the shepherds, because of their low life place in society, there was a humility about these guys that God wanted to honor. And so he gave grace to the humble and he resists the proud. And so what I'm saying here, why shepherds? God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And friend, until we humble ourselves, we're never going to know this favor. You know, I've met so many people over my journey and shared Christ with so many different people. And you know what I hear coming through nine times out of 10 when they resist the gospel? It's their stinking pride. It's their ego that gets in the way. It's they don't want to give it up because they don't want to have a transformed life. They don't want to necessarily believe it because they want to do their thing their way. And God resists that, but he does give grace to those who humble yourselves. And every one of you who know Christ this morning, at some point in your life, apparently humbled yourself enough to find his favor and and God chooses those to use. Amen? That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a humble people to be used. And that's why he chose shepherds. Here's secondly, principle number two. God honors every profession, no matter how prestigious or lowly. What, what I mean by that is, is, as I think, sometimes we underestimate how God wants to use us in our vocation. And we sometimes elevate the, some and we, we create low lives in others. And when I was in the turkey business, I was pretty much a low life. I'll let me tell you. But if we find our identity in that, we're really in trouble. Because what the Lord wants to see is faithfulness in your profession. If you remember when I shared a, a, a message here a number of months ago and I talked about how work is a four-letter word, but it was more of a challenge to you all to say, are you taking Christ into the workplace? Uh, I was, uh, had a conversation with my, my nephew here a few months ago, and he called me and he said, hey, Tom, he said, I've got an issue on our elder board here at the church, and I'm one of the elders, but I really don't know what to do because I'm just a farmer. And I said, Troy, don't, don't, don't demean what your career, what God's vocation calling in your life. You have more common sense than the average guy on the street. You've got more wisdom and farming is so sophisticated. Don't sell yourself short. 
because he was on a board with other businessmen and he just felt like he couldn't compete. He couldn't, couldn't relate. And I want to just say, whatever your profession is, and maybe those of you who are even retired, the main thing is that God's looking for your faithfulness. He's looking for you to take care of those sheep, whatever that looks like. And I believe that if God's going to change our world, it's going to be through your job because those are the people you're rubbing shoulders with every day and you have influence with. And those are the people that God wants to you to reach through you in your profession. So whatever your profession is, God wants to honor that as long as you're faithful in what you're doing. I mean, that was the lowest perhaps profession on the planet at the time, but God used those guys in a powerful way and revealed himself to those guys. Okay, here's principle number three. You never know when God may have a divine appointment for you. Do you think that when the shepherds went and did their total routines night after night, watching those dumb, smelly sheep, that they ever thought that God would have a divine appointment for them? It was probably totally unexpected, came out of the blue. But what's cool about this is they were available to do what God had suggested that they might check out. And my question to us, do we understand that God perhaps has divine appointments for us that we have missed because of our lack of availability? That that God may have something in mind in your life that he wants to use you. And how many days have you finished today? And I know I have in my life to say, you know what, man, I blew that. I had a great opportunity and I let that one slide. I got too busy, I got too distracted, or I didn't take advantage of the opportunity. And God had in mind for me to have a divine appointment that day and I missed it. That God may want to intervene, that God wants to to come alongside you and use you in some way, shape, or form. And I know there's a lot of days that I pray that prayer. I've shared that before with you guys that I pray a lot, that God give me a divine appointment today because I don't want to blow it. I don't want to miss it. And these these poor guys that are out there in the field, when God appears to them, I mean, my goodness, what what a divine appointment that must have been. But they were faithful and they followed up on it and went and saw the Christ child. So you never know when God may have a divine appointment for you. But the key is we've got to be available. We've got to be intentional. We've got to be sensitive to what God's trying to do in our lives. Are you available? Are you ready for that moment that God may have for you? I mean, some of you are going to have friends and relatives coming around for Christmas. And and they don't know Jesus. Are, Are you praying for a divine appointment? Are you praying for an opportunity that God might just open up a door to really be able to share your faith? It's all about availability. The shepherds were available. And the reason I say that is principle number four, uh, number four, and that is you shouldn't need a two by four upside the head to be obedient. Okay. You see, where I'm going with this is that when the angel announces to these guys and saying, hey, guys, listen, there, there is a savior that's being born in Bethlehem in the city of David. And, and you're going to see that there's a baby wrapped in these claws in a manger. And he's the savior of the world. Now, they didn't, he didn't come up and, and whack him upside the head and say, so go do it. These guys took the hint. They realized what was, what was before them, and they decided to go and check it out. And so what I, what I really love about this is that when oftentimes God speaks to us, are we really at a point in our lives where we need a two by four upside the head or can it just be with that still small voice that's saying, you know, you need to go do this. You need to be obedient in this area. You need to check this out. 
And for some of us, we're so stubborn and so distracted and so unavailable, sometimes God needs to whack us upside the head to get our attention. But in this particular case, and I know that you're already saying, well, hey, if I had an angel and a host in front of me, I'd probably do the same thing. But on the flip side, when God speaks to us in that still small voice, when God is trying to say something to us, does it take a two by four upside the head or do you check it out? Do you, do you move towards what God's really prompting you to do? Well, I love this about the shepherds is that they didn't sit there and, and, and probably they had a discussion maybe a little bit similar to the video and said, you know, we got to go check this out. I mean, if God's done this for us, we, we need to do something and respond to it. So here's number, principle number five. Our spiritual responsibility in life should always be our number one priority. The reason why I say that is that their job was to take care of these sheep 24-7. And if they were temple shepherds, they even had a higher calling and, or a higher responsibility, let's put it that way, not a higher calling, but a higher responsibility to make sure that those sheep were absolutely unspotted and totally unblemished. And to leave those sheep with guys perhaps who were um, maybe tired, maybe, maybe uh, you know, it wasn't their shift, who knows. But they, had to, they decided that, you know what was more important at that point? It was not the sheep, it was the shepherd. It was the new good shepherd that was being born. They had to defer their responsibility for that moment. And I think about when the disciples were called by Jesus and said, come follow me. What did they do? Did they say, oh, no, Jesus, I'm a fisherman. I, I'm, I'm not available. No, they, what do they do? They drop their nets and they immediately follow. Because why? Because they felt that following Jesus was more important than their profession and more important than any other responsibility. And my question to us this morning, are we the type of people that understand that our spiritual lives are the most important part of our being? That to take care of my soul and to be available to what God wants us to do, it should always be our number one priority. It should always be the first thing that's on our heart. Are we taking care of ourselves spiritually? Are we, are we allowing God to set the priority for our life? Or do we have our own agenda? So the disciples left their nets and the sheep or the shepherds left their sheep for at least a point, a season to go see the Christ child. Are you willing to leave your nets? Are you willing to leave the sheep? That's a question that I have to wrestle with. Here's principle number six. We should be telling people about our own encounter with Christ. Now, when you think about this, these guys had virtually no credibility, remember? They, they were not honored by the religious community. They were outcasts because they were always running around in sheep dung and hanging out with dirty, smelly sheep. So the ceremonial, they could never be clean enough to ever even go to the temple. So they were out there as sort of mavericks and they had virtually no credibility. And yet, when they saw the Christ child, it didn't matter what kind of skepticism, what kind of backlash, what kind of stuff was going on. They were telling everybody that they had seen the Christ child. They had experienced something in their lives that was life-changing, life-transforming. And what did people respond? They were amazed. It didn't say they rejected him. It didn't say they were all, they were a bunch of idiots who, who were a bunch of sheep. We can't believe what they were saying. But people were amazed. There was something different about these guys after they had seen the Christ. And they couldn't help but share no matter how incredible they were. Do you see yourself in that way? Do you feel like you've had this experience with Jesus Christ and so it transformed your life and even though there might be some skeptics out there or people who might resist it or people who may not believe you or find that you are a creditable witness, do you still have that enthusiasm and that excitement to share about Christ? Some of us have been Christians too long. You know what I mean? 
We've forgotten what it was like the day we accepted Christ in our life. We've forgotten that special moment when we had that encounter with Jesus. And consequently, we've sort of lost our zealousness. We've lost our enthusiasm. We've lost some of our excitement about sharing who Jesus is. Then you wonder why our culture is so screwed up. So these guys, no matter what, had somehow a new sincerity, a a contagious excitement. Something was different about these guys that people were actually amazed because, like I said, they virtually had no credibility. Here's the last principle. They were smart enough to explore the validity of the claim. I can't tell you how many people I've encountered in my life who I've shared Christ with, and I hear this, well, you know, you can't believe everything you read in the Bible. Have you read the Bible? No. Well, the Bible's really confusing. Well, you know, you know, a lot of the Bible was written by a bunch of fishermen, you know, pretty ordinary guys. Have you really explored the validity of the scriptures? Have you explored the historicity, the archaeology, all of the proofs that the Bible is actually true? Oh, no, 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 I haven't done that. I get so frustrated with people who resist the gospel because they're so afraid to explore the validity of the claim. And there's people sitting here perhaps this morning that are still skeptical about this Christianity thing. But have you really explored the validity? That's what I love about the shepherds. They were not super intelligent guys, perhaps. They weren't super scholarly, but they at least when, they, when, when something prompted them, they were at least smart enough to go check it out. And I see so many people that just drive me crazy when I share my faith and they, they say, well, you know, I, you know I, I don't want to be a Christian because I, I'm not religious. Well, we're not talking about religion. Well, I know, but will you just check it out? Will you just look and see what there is to realize that there is truth to what we're trying to say? And what I love about the shepherds is they checked it out. And there are probably some people sitting here who are doubters that say, you know, well, I'm not sure if I can believe all this stuff about the nativity. I'm not sure I can believe about Jesus and all those miracles. Have you really checked it out? Because scripture says, seek and what? You will find. These guys were seeking and they found. You found him, most of you this morning, and he wasn't the one that was lost. So let me ask you some questions like I always do. Let me say this. Is your pride standing in the way of a loving relationship with Jesus Christ? Now you say, well, I'm, I, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that mean your, your pride still hasn't gone away? I don't think so. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. He said, I die daily. What is standing in the way of a vital relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe you've never accepted Christ and it's all about your ego. It's about your pride. That's really what it boils down to with a lot of folks. They don't want to surrender. They don't want to humble themselves. But from day to day, a lot of times us as believers, we don't like to humble ourselves either. So is your pride standing in the way of what Jesus wants to do in your life? Second question, whatever profession God has called you, are you being faithful in that profession? Whatever God's got you right now in terms of your life calling, whether it's retirement right now or whether it's a volunteer, whether it's you're in the workplace, are you really being faithful in that in your life? And are you willing to understand that God may have divine appointments for you in that, that 
faithfulness and that you can be sharing your faith because I believe that's where life and people are going to find uh, them when we're, we're going to change the world. It's not going to be necessarily people flocking to the church. We know that these days. It's going to be you flocking to people at your workplace. Are you being faithful in the profession that God has called you? Here's the third question that I had to struggle with. How hard is it for you to follow those promptings from the Lord? When God speaks to you or when God seems to touch your heart, maybe on a Sunday morning or uh, something that you've read or a song that you heard or, or you hear this still small voice, are you the type of person that needs a two by four upside the head or do you really have a sensitivity to what God's trying to say? Are you stubborn and a little bit resistant because it maybe is a little out of your comfort zone? But God's saying, you know what? You need to, you need to check this out. You need to be a little obedient here. I want you to do this. Or, or have you ever tried to, have you ever thought about this? And, and, you, and you, you say, well, I don't know. But then God has to somehow whack you upside the head with a two by four to finally say, we, do you get it? How many times do I need to get there to you? How many times do I need to show you? How many times do I need to speak to you in that still small voice? And, and I know for a lot of you, you probably have said, you know, many times is that the way God gets my attention he has to give me a whack upside the head because sometimes I'm pretty stubborn. Sometimes I don't get it. And finally, when's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you shared the good news? You know, we've got a great opportunity and, and um, I hope Christmas Eve will be a great journey for somebody in, in Prescott that night here at Cornerstone because I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to be as direct and as honest and as simple as I can be about sharing the gospel because I'm excited about sharing the gospel with folks. You have relatives maybe coming in for the holidays. You're going to be around non-Christian relatives, people that you know and love that you've kind of been reluctant to take a risk. Maybe God's saying this holiday take a shot. What have you got to lose? Invite that person to Christmas Eve, whatever it takes. When's the last time you shared the good news? Do we really believe it's good news or not? So when's the last time? For some of us, it may have been years. For some of us, it may have not been ever. But maybe God's prompting you and instead of a two by a four upside the head, maybe you ought to get on it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these guys who in time and space you chose to be the first on the scene of your son. Thank you for this model in your heart for shepherds. But Lord, I also know that you have a tremendous burden for sheep. And Lord, we're all like sheep who've gone astray. But thank you, Lord, that you tend us 24-7, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so as we continue our journey, Lord, in this walk of faith, I pray that the things that have been shared today would really be a challenge to all of us. If it requires more humility than God, I pray that you would bring us to our knees requires a more tender heart of obedience and availability and God I pray that you would make us more available if it's the skepticism and doubt that's riddling some of these folks that are sitting here this morning then God I pray that they would go on that journey to validate and to check it out and stop having their preconceived notions and egos in the way but they would literally check it out and realize that you are who you said you were 
the Savior of the world. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.